This is episode 68 with Mark Roderick. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey guys, thanks for coming into another episode. I'm Kirsten Ross. Again, if you are looking for uh, crowdfunding tips or are even in the middle of planning your first Kickstarter campaign, be sure to head over to crowdfundinguncut.com. I have a freebie, which is the ultimate product launch checklist. It's going to go through timelines um, right up six months from launch, right up until your launch date and beyond for how you can have a successful campaign. And it's the exact uh, system that I have created to raise over $1.2 million and have my average campaign be over a quarter million. So there's a lot of insight um, there. So head over to crowdfundinguncut.com for that. Today we're getting into the legal uh, advice when it comes to your crowdfunding campaign. We're going to be touching both on the reward side with Kickstarter and what are some legal risks you have that you may not know about and also the equity-based side of things. So if you're looking at equity crowdfunding, this could also be a really great deep dive episode for you. Um, I'm so excited. So I'm just going to get to the interview and let Mark tell his story. Mark, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, Kirsten. I am delighted to join you. So where are you based in the U.S.? I am based in the U.S. Um, in Philadelphia and just outside Philadelphia. Physically. Oh, awesome. Ge- geographically, right now I'm sitting in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. How's the weather there today? It is absolutely fabulous. I was going to say that in my response but decided not to. It is a sparkling, gorgeous autumn day. Yeah, I think Toronto is about the same. It's really weird because, like, I am, I stepped back from five weeks of traveling last week, and the first day I left my house, it was nearly freezing. I'm like, I didn't come back for this, but it's, it's actually been quite nice because you're not too, too far from me. Not too far from you, actually, yeah. So, Mark, I'd love to get into what you do. Um, I've decided to bring a, a lawyer onto the show this time because as a consultant, I find that that's something that's lacking in my awareness is what are some of the legal risks when it comes to crowdfunding? And um, we've touched a little bit on the equity side of things in the show. Most of the audience, um, although they may start with the rewards-based crowdfunding like Kickstarter, um, they do eventually look to go to equity crowdfunding. And I think that it's um, a bit of a hole in the conversation that's been locking on the show. And I'm just really excited to dive into this with you a little bit further. Um, before we do that, where can people find you online? Oh boy. People can find me online in a whole bunch of places. Um, in fact, if anyone Googles crowdfunding and lawyer or crowdfunding and attorney, they would have a hard time not finding me. But my blog my crowdfunding blog, which is very widely read, um, it, it has a name that's a little difficult to spell on the phone. So the easiest way to find it is www.markroderick.net. Okay. And when you punch that into your computer, you will get to the blog and you'll see it's actually called crowdfundattorney.com. But that's a little hard to spell. So on the phone, markroderick.net will get you there. 
Cool. Yeah. Cause crowdfundattorney.com, it's just a T T N Y.com. Um, right. I'll be sure to That's put a link in the show notes. But so like Mark, tell us a bit about yourself. Like you are one of the few lawyers in the U S that actually specializes in crowdfunding. So I'm curious, like how did you get started in the niche of crowdfunding? Well, um, it was a clear blue day when I was born in Kirsten. No, I won't, I won't go quite that Uh-oh. far back. But I, back guys. I've, um, <laughs> I've been representing entrepreneurs and their businesses for a long, long time. Decades, actually. And, uh, you know, in, in everything entrepreneurs do. And one of the main things entrepreneurs do is try to raise money. So I've always been a securities lawyer helping entrepreneurs and real estate developers and other folks raise money under the traditional U.S. securities laws. Um, When I saw the Jobs Act on the horizon, uh, you know, back in probably 2011, I realized that this was going to be absolutely transformative and disruptive and the coolest thing that had ever happened, um, you know, during my legal career, um, because I saw that this was, it's really just the internet coming to the capital formation industry. And I I saw what the internet could do to this industry. So I decided I'm going to become, you know, the world's expert on this. So I, I at least tried to become the world's expert expert and I started speaking about it and, and started writing this blog and uh, it it sort of mushroomed from there because it really has turned out to be transformative and and disruptive and I am pretty evangelical about it and I think that enthusiasm uh, comes across so yeah it's been a natural out growth to what I have always done, helping entrepreneurs raise money. But because it's the internet and because of the impact the internet has on every industry it touches, it has grown very, very rapidly. Um, so going, um, I'm curious then, like, for those listeners that are not familiar with what the JOBS Act is, can you just go into what that is? Because I know it's a few years back, but... I'd be happy to, yeah. The JOBS Act is the beginning of crowdfunding. Um, The Jobs Act was signed into law by President Obama in 2012 and and created the three flavors of crowdfunding that we have now, Title II, Title III, and Title IV. Um, And as I always say, fortunately, there are tons of complicated legal details in the crowdfunding act. And I say fortunately because otherwise people wouldn't have to hire me. But what the Jobs Act really did is very, very simple, and and that is for the first time in U.S. securities law history, the Jobs Act makes it legal to advertise um, capital raises for small companies. At all previous times since the ninth. 1930s, which is when our securities laws were born, um, there were two kinds of offerings, basically. There were public offerings, which were public and could be advertised, and there were private offerings, which were private 
and could not be advertised. And as a result, if you're a small company, of course, you have to do the private route because the public route is so expensive and time-consuming, and you couldn't advertise. And that means, you know, when you start raising money for a company, you rely on all the these private networks of people and companies, you know, who do you know? Is your father a member of the country club? Um, where do you live? You know, do you live in a place that has access to capital? Um, what na- what neighborhood do you come from? Will people give you money if you come from certain neighborhoods? And then you start, you know, well, who do I know? My lawyer, my accountant, who does my lawyer accountant know? So you're relying on on these extremely inefficient and opaque private networks to raise capital, very, very inefficient and expensive. The Jobs Act says no more. So now, if I'm that entrepreneur, I can advertise to every potential investor on the planet about my little company and why I think they should invest. And that is... uh, yeah, that's why the Jobs Act is so significant and so transformative. Because um, putting aside all the complicated legal rules, it allows small entrepreneurs to advertise their companies to every investor in the world. Love that. And now, did the Jobs Act have a significant impact on like the Kickstarter crowd? Because that goes more in, under the pre-order routes. I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. Does it did it have an effect on on Kickstarter? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, did it have any effect on the Kickstarter crowd? Because that's while yes, you're raising capital, you're not raising investment. You're just more pre-selling a product. Yeah, and, and the Jobs Act really doesn't directly have anything to do with the Kickstarter or Indiegogo uh, donation-based crowdfunding model. You know, in those models. You're not uh, selling stock when people give you money. You're just asking for money, you know, out of the goodness of people's hearts. And so, yeah, the Jobs Act is about securities laws. And in donation-based crowdfunding, there are no securities being issued, meaning stocks and bonds. Now, there are, however, um, important indirect interplay between rewards-based and equity-based crowdfunding. One is that all the stuff that people found is effective in rewards-based crowdfunding, uh, telling a story, um, uh, creating a community, you know, the kinds of things that induce people to give you money for nothing are also effective in the equity-based crowdfunding world. Um, no surprise. The, the other indirect effect, it, um, which is sort of still being played out, is we wonder sometimes, after you know, we've had a couple drinks, we, we wonder whether now that you know, ordinary investors can go online and invest in companies and get a share of stock, for example, is that going to in any way make them reluctant to simply make a donation to companies, you know, via Kickstarter, for example. We don't know, but it's it's an interesting thing to think about. As you know, 
There have been examples of companies, Oculus being the biggest example, companies who raised money from lots of nice donors on Kickstarter and then, boom, were sold like for billions of dollars. And if I had been a donor, for example, to Oculus, I might be wondering, hey, now wait a second. (laughs) That's not right. You know, maybe the next time I do this, I'll I'll make I'll do it as an investment rather than a, a, a donation. But how that works has yet to be played out. Yeah, it's really interesting what happened with Oculus because they had a like they were the how much did they raise? Like some obscene amount of money. And right. we're gonna say like 18 to 20 million. I probably should have looked this up before the call, but when that gets acquired, that's awesome. But then what do you do on a campaign like Scully, um, the motorcycle helmet that sold for $1,800 went on to be really successful campaign, raised external funding um, after Kickstarter, and then realized that development costs were too high and they go uh, bankrupt or they realize that they're not able to deliver this unit. Like, um, I just want to touch on the reward side of things before we jump into the big equity conversation. But what happens when a campaign raises money on Kickstarter? They take customer money, so it's not stocks, um, and they don't deliver the product. Like, what happens when that happens? Well, if everything has been done correctly, nothing happens. Because when you, when you make a donation to a, a Kickstarter campaign, there are no promises, you know, the person is going to try to develop the motorcycle helmet or going to try to develop the watch or, or whatever the product is. Um, but there are, you know, they're not promising that they will be successful. In fact, they're probably putting in their materials, you know, there's a high risk here because among other things, you know, typically the amount of money they're raising in a Kickstarter campaign is definitely not enough to get the product created. They're just hoping to use the Kickstarter money as a Kickstarter, you know, to, so that then they'll go out and raise additional capital after that. So in general, if everyone has been up front and crossed their I's and dotted their T's, um, the fact that a company fails to create the product doesn't matter at all. The donors hopefully understand, you know, they donated to a good cause. It just didn't get done and everyone, you know, lives to say another day. Yeah. What if you have a really angry backer that, um, like, really angry backer that realizes, okay, so I gave you my $500. I'm getting nothing back. I want to sue you. Obviously, we assume the customer had tried to go for a refund first. Um, have you ever seen it go really badly for the project creator where a customer has successfully sued over lack of delivery? No. Now, I wouldn't necessarily be aware, wouldn't necessarily be aware of those lawsuits. But no, I, I do not believe that is um, common at all because in all the documents, it is made clear that you know, there's just no guarantee. Now, you know, if the if the company, if the founder of the company, you know, runs away to the Bahamas with the money, that's a different story. And there have been a few of those. But simply failing to be successful with the product, no, that's that's not a it's not a cause for a lawsuit. And Kickstarter itself makes that very clear in their 
you know, terms of use with it, with donors. Yeah, because Kickstarter has zero liability because your agreement is technically between the backer and the project creator. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious then, um, because it does happen that companies raise a ton of money and then decide to hire strippers and run to the Bahamas. Um, should that happen, what are the legal implications with it? Is it customer negligence or what sort of... Now, if they, um, if they do that, then they have committed a criminal act, not just a civil act. So they can be arrested by the FBI and put in jail for fraud, uh, as well as being sued successfully by the donors. Now, you know, the, they've spent the money on the strippers, as you said. <laughs> uh, so uh, usually the money's not there anymore. <laughs> but you know, so the donors are just sort of left to chalk that off to a bad experience. And, and I should, you know, should say that this is extremely rare um, in the world of crowdfunding in general. There is very, very little fraud either on the rewards-based side or the equity-based side so far. Who knows about the future? But stories like that are the, you know, uh, man bites dog kind of story so far thankfully very very rare which is good so guys don't go spending your money on strippers you're wasting your breath if you're directing that to guys i know right okay that's true but just don't take your customer money and <laughs> run with it obviously um so that's cool we've dealt with the reward side i'd love to dig into equity side of things um, so for anyone who does not know what equity-based crowdfunding is, can you just give a brief explanation of what that is? Sure. Equity-based crowdfunding is just a fancy kind of name for I'm raising capital for my company online, you know, in the crowdfunding world. Any, anytime you're raising money online, we call that crowdfunding, or I call it crowdfunding. So... Equity crowdfunding is just a word we use to distinguish it from rewards-based crowdfunding, but it just means raising traditional finance, selling stock, issuing bonds, issuing options, issuing any other kind of security, traditional security, but doing it online. That's, that's all it is. Okay. When would you suggest, so just say you have a client that comes to you because they want to do equity-based crowdfunding. Um, is there any, when do you suggest it's the right time for people to um, do an equity campaign? Like, do you have some checkboxes to make sure your clients are ready for it in the right stage of development or pre-revenue? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, you know, that's an excellent question, and it's actually, people can pull, you know, seminars in, in giving a complete answer to that question. So, you know, if you have an idea, or you have a business, you have an existing business you want to expand, or you have a new business that you need capital for, in one sense, that's the point when you are, you know, should start considering crowdfunding, and I do believe that because it's just the internet and the internet, um, you know, only grows, you know, within a few years from now, anytime anybody is looking for capital, that's what they'll think of first. Let's go online. You know, 
uh, let's find a good crowdfunding portal. But the second part of your question, which is super, super important, okay, now that I want to raise capital, um, how do I prepare myself for it? That is, you know, that is a really good question and has a lot of answers. Um, uh, it's a big deal to truly prepare yourself to raise capital. You know, it's about having a, you know, really good uh, business plan. It's about having a really solid sort of corporate structure and corporate organization in place. Uh, um, uh, it's about knowing how you're going to spend the money, <laughs> you know. You know, you don't just raise money and say, well, I don't know what I'll do with that. I'll figure out something. So you, you want to have a really good um, a really good plan. You have to decide what kind of security you're going to sell to the public and uh, how much of your company you're going to give away and how much voting rights people are going to have. So there's a lot that goes into it. I'm not exaggerating. You give whole seminars on that topic. Um uh, but, of course, if you're an entrepreneur and you need capital, that's what you have to do. What? Yeah, I know I kind of threw that at you. Um, <laughs> but do you have, like, in the rewards-based side, we have Kickstarter and Indiegogo that kind of run the market. Is there, do you have a favorite platform you like to use for equity-based crowdfunding? There are a number of platforms, so let me just give you my metaphor to answer that question. Equity crowdfunding platforms are like stores. They're like they're like retail stores. Um, so think of you know think of DSW, the, the the shoe retailer. That's what crowdfunding platforms are like. They're selling securities, meaning interests in small companies or not so small companies rather than shoes, but it's the same idea. So the market, think of the retail market. We have, depending on what you want to buy, like if you want to buy shoes, you should go to, to DSW. If you want to buy a car, you don't go to DSW. Um, you go to a car store. So, meaning that the retail market, we have this incredibly well-built out retail market where the consumer decides what they want to buy and there's always a store multiple stores there are malls you know where i get all these different kinds of stores the crowdfunding market is like that it's just in its infancy um, so eventually there will be a crowdfunding portal or store for all all these different vertical markets, right? If you want to buy a bio, invest in a biotech company, there will be biotech stores. If you want to invest in, um, you know, a retail, the retail industry, there will be retail stores, companies where you can invest. Today, there aren't, aren't that many stores. Uh, those that exist, 90% of them are real estate. And there is some differentiation there, you know, some market segmentation. There's real estate equity stores. There's real estate debt stores. There are, uh, there's, a real, there's a consumer product company store. Uh, there are a couple high-tech stores. But the industry is being built out. So 
when you say what's the best place to list, it depends on what your product is. You know, if you have a, uh, if you're, if you've developed a new kind of potato chip or some a consumer product, then you would go to the one consumer product store, a portal called Circle Up, and they specialize in companies that make consumer products. If you're a real estate developer um, and want to raise equity to buy an apartment building, you might go to a store called Real Crowd or a store called Crowd Street to sell your product. If you're a high-tech company, you might go to a store called Seed Invest to try to raise money for your company. So the answer to your question is, it depends on the company as to whether there is a store out there that will carry your product. That's great to know. It's so different from awards-based. Um, my next question then is, yes. I have two questions left. One of them is, how much does your choice of the platform determine your success in that a lot of the Kickstarter community will, as soon as you get initial momentum with your project, then they just have backers ready looking for a project like yours. So Kickstarter really helps with the success here. Um, if you're on an equity site, how much does the platform help you get investors or does it? Excellent. Excellent question. Yes, it does. It does help you get investors, and it will even more in the future. So, as I say, about 90% of the portals, the stores so far, are for real estate. So, the, you know, the uh, best known and so far most successful real estate portals might have, you know, a few thousand uh, active investors registered at their site. So yes, when you when you decide to list there, it's because of those investors because they you know that's the pool. It's just like if you want to sell shoes, you want to be in DSW. Why? Because people come to DSW to to buy shoes. So exactly the same idea. And yes, um, the existing portals do have an existing you know pool of investors. But it's not a pool of a million investors. It's a pool of some thousands of investors, um, you know, because the crowdfunding market is just starting. That makes sense. Um, God, I had another question that was really good. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I do have two last questions. I just realized this. Um, every time equity comes up in my mind, I, I hear people that say you can't advertise um, an equity-based crowdfunding campaign like you can a Kickstarter. So it's, I just want to know, is that, is that true that you can't advertise it? Or what is that? I know what they're talking about. So we, we could get into some, you know, very deep details here. Um, let me just say, in general, the whole idea of crowdfunding, as I've said, is that that you can advertise. So your listeners should take away from this, yeah, you can advertise. Crowdfunding is about advertising. I'm sure that the, the person who said that to you was talking about this very granular detail in one of the three flavors of crowdfunding, Title Three, which is 
the newest and sort of most unusual animal of the three kinds of crowdfunding. You have to be careful what you say in your advertising. And the general rule is all of Title III crowdfunding has to be done on a Title III licensed website. Okay, it's licensed with the government. And when you're advertising about your campaign, all you're allowed to do, again, I'm being very, very general here, lots of exceptions, but all you're allowed to do is point people back to that website. So you can say, our name is, um, you know, Nuco Inc. We have a great new uh, software that we're selling. We're raising money for the, you know, to hire more people and to become a billion dollar company and go see our raise on xyzportal.com. That's what you're allowed to say. So I'm sure that that's what the person was referring to this rule that if you're doing a certain kind of crowdfunding, all you can do in advertising, your race is to point people to the portal rather than sort of independently talk about your offering. Gotcha. Okay. And my last question is a legal one for equity-based crowdfunding. So when someone does an equity raise, what is one big misconception you see that people have legally, um, by people, I mean the the project creator is looking for investment. Like what is one thing that they absolutely need to do that you don't see people doing? Yeah, that's actually easy. And uh, I mean, an easy question to answer. Um, uh, people believe that uh, if they build it, investors will come. You know, I have such a great company. Entrepreneurs, you deal with them all the time, I'm sure. Entrepreneurs, fall in love with their product, with their company, and believe that if just, if they could just get the word out, right, that people would just flock to their company. And in fact, that's only happens sometimes. It does happen sometimes. Um, uh, but the general rule by far is that uh, if you're an entrepreneur, no matter how wonderful your company is, you are going to have to do a lot of work and a lot of marketing to attract investors. They don't just show up and write you checks. So that that absolutely is sort of the key in the crowdfunding industry right now. People are just starting to wake up to the fact that crowdfunding is a market marketing business. It's not a technology business. It's not a real estate business. It's a marketing business. And if you want to raise money, you've got to be prepared to market your company. Great. So to wrap this up, how can people, if people are interested in working with you, how do you work with companies? When is the right time to contact you? And how can they do that if they're looking for legal services? Wow. Okay. That's a great question. Well, yes, I work with, I mean, that's all I do. I work with companies uh, 24-7, it seems. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I, my, I charge generally by the hour, but for a lot of crowdfunding clients, I do uh, fixed fee arrangements just because everyone 
I hate hourly rates. And um, the way to contact me is send me an email. Um, and you can see my email address at my blog, or I don't know what you're going to have it posted somewhere. Send me an email. Tell me your, who you are, and we will set up a call. The next step would be I, I would send your email to my assistant, and we will set up a call and see if we can do business together. Beautiful. And again, he can be found at crowdfundattorney.com. It's A-T-T-N-Y.com. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. But this has been awesome. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Fantastic, Kirsten. Really, really nice talking with you. You asked some very perceptive and excellent questions. That's the goal. All right, guys, if you are planning your crowdfunding campaign, uh, I know that this episode was more on the equity side, but if you are still planning a rewards-based campaign on Kickstarter, you should head over to crowdfundinguncut.com. You can pick up the ultimate product launch checklist, which is a full timeline of what you should be doing uh, weeks before launch to make sure you're set up for success. Um, and again, if you're digging the show, please do head over to iTunes. There is a link in the show notes, um, crowdfunding uncut. Just be sure to leave us an honest review because it helps us be found by more listeners. And, uh, thanks so much till next time. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.